scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm chapter 37, verses 1 through 11. It says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. This is the word of the Lord. All right, if you have a Bible... I invite you to turn to Psalm chapter 37. Psalm 37, we were uh, supposed to have church last week, so glad uh, you all made it back this week. Uh, we missed you, and uh, we actually were out of power here at the church anyways, even if we uh, were going to plan to brave the storm, uh, we would not have power here anyways. So, uh, so thankfully, uh, God was provident. Uh, God's providence was uh, there, and we were not uh, in a bad situation. Psalm chapter uh, 37, uh, you just heard it read, and here it describes uh, for us the, the quiet spirit of the one who trusts in the Lord and does not fret or fear because of evildoers. Uh, David is the writer of Psalm chapter 37. Here he is acknowledging the problem caused by the prospering of the godless. You probably have experienced that at some point, haven't you? You probably have I've looked around uh, maybe your, your place of work, uh, your neighborhood, uh, the state, the country, the world, whatever it is, and I've noticed that, that there are times when the wicked seem to be prospering. And it can be hard for us to make sense of that in the moment. It can sometimes be hard for us to trust God and to believe his word when what seems like is happening is not what should be happening. Uh, today is the day that uh, we, we refer to as the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. It's a day of remembering the more than 61 million babies that have been murdered since January 1973 in the passage of Roe v. Wade. Uh, we are thankful today that the abortion numbers in the United States have decreased, actually dramatically decreased in the past 30 years uh, to some of the lowest numbers. And yet, still every year, hundreds of thousands of babies are lost, both here in the United States and around the world. So we pray. We pray that God would end the Holocaust on the unborn. This is a, an evil in our worlds, and it seems like it is advancing. It seems like it's continuing, and it doesn't seem like it, it is continuing. 
And sometimes we might say, how long, O oh Lord? Why, why would God allow such evil? Why does the evil seem to be continuing? It's true that evildoers do prosper at times in this world. You can see it in other ways, can't you? You see it as a bad coworker who gets the promotion instead of being fired. You see it, the professional athletes who violate rules and actually end up winning the World Series. Uh, you see uh, corrupt politicians acting in unethical ways for their own personal gain, whatever style, uh, side of the aisle you want to be on. It's still true. Over and over again, we see it. And this can lead to us getting upset. It can lead to us getting worried. It can lead to doubt. It can lead to fear. For our time this morning, I'd like to look at verse 7, especially, of this psalm. Look at it again. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. So in light of the, the prosperity of evildoers, we hear this call of David to be Still. To be still means to stop. Uh, it means to be quiet. To be silent. Some of your Bibles say rest in the Lord. It's the idea of, of a calm surrender. It's stillness both in speech and in motion. Psalm 62 verse 1 says, For the Lord alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. Isaiah 30 verse 15, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Lamentations 3, 25 and 26, The Lord is good to those who wait for him to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary or heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is is light. Be still. Relax. Right? Uh, don't overreact. Uh, the Hebrew word here uh, may be the word from which we get our word dumb, D-U-M-B, which, which means to be silent. Uh, many of us uh, don't do so well with silence, do we? Some of us want the noise. We don't want to be uh, alone uh, in, in quietness. We don't want to sit uh, still. In fact, Pascal had said that, that what's wrong with the world is that man does not know how to stay quietly in his own room. Sit and be quiet. We, we don't do that very well. We, 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 we hustle and we bustle and we talk and we have noise and we, we rarely are still. But it's not just about quietness. It's not what David says. He doesn't just say be quiet. He says to be still before the Lord. Or again, some of your Bibles, rest in him. 
Some of us might be quiet. Some of us might rest. But this is something different with the inclusion of before the Lord or in him. This is a reverential stillness. The idea of silent, wordless prayer. Just for your own um, food for thought, you can answer this to yourself. Can you remember the last time you were still before the Lord? We live in such a, uh, a hurry-up culture uh, of busy, of I got to go here and there, uh, jam-packed schedules. Everyone is vying for your time. And all of this can amount to little or no stillness in our life. No quietness, no rest, just going, going, going. You see, where there is no stillness before the Lord, there will be no peace of the Lord. We see that in verse 11, this inclusion of peace. But David is inviting us into stillness, to, to be still. And this is not a new idea in the Bible. This idea of, of, of rest is not new in the Bible. In fact, it's the order of creation. You remember this. Six days God worked. And on the seventh, he rested. He didn't rest because he was tired. He didn't rest because he was worn out. He rested as an example to us of what, what a rhythm looks like. To work and then to rest. This day would become known as the Sabbath. A day which God's people were commanded to keep as an act of worship. It was a command, it was law, and it was for their good. We actually find in the Old Testament that this, this law or this command of, of Sabbath was extended even to, into agricultural practices where every seven years the, the land would get a rest for a year. As we move into the New Testament, we don't find the command for Sabbath um, recounted in the New Testament. But what we do find is the example of Jesus and in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it says that Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. In the New King James Version, it says that he often withdrew. What do we make of that? Is that Jesus made rest in the Lord a practice, something that he frequently did. He went alone he went away to be alone with God. This wasn't just solitude. It wasn't just getting away from people. It wasn't just like some of us who are introverts want to be alone. That, that's not the point, right? The point was to be with God. The point was worship. In his book on prayer, writer and pastor John Onwachekwa writes, that, that, writes about Jesus in the garden. And he says this, the story of Gethsemane is as much about the power of prayer as it is about the inevitable failure that comes from prayerlessness. Jesus' faithfulness to do God's task is directly tied to his prayer. The disciples' faithlessness is directly tied to their prayerlessness. You remember that story in the garden where Jesus says, pray with me, and they don't? <laughs> And Jesus does, 
See, Jesus slowed down in order to be in sync with God. It's what one, one writer calls a slowed down spirituality, which is super countercultural today. Whether you intend to do it or not, we live in a sped up world. So really the question as, as we think about our life and we think about our, our, our time, do you even have the margin in your life to be still? Is your life so full that there is no time for stillness? From sunup to sundown, you're running. You're jam-packed. You're over-scheduled. Well, David goes on to add to this with the next phrase in verse 7. Not only to be still before the Lord, but wait patiently for him. You see the waiting in a couple other verses in this psalm too. And waiting is a pretty big theme in the Bible. We see it all throughout the Bible, in the Psalms especially. But it's true in the Christian life, isn't it? That waiting is part of our, uh, our, our life. It's part of what it means to be a Christian, is to wait. And waiting is hard. Can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> waiting is hard. That's very hard. In fact, I think it's maybe harder than ever in our instant everything culture. We got instant everything. And 20 years ago when I was in Bible college, I had a professor say to me, we're the only culture who stands in front of a microwave and says, hurry up. <laughs> right? I mean, even, even now we got instant everything, Instapot, uh, air fryer. Like, I mean, whatever it is, it, it's faster and quicker. And that's what we, we want it now and we want it quicker and quicker and quicker. And impatience has its dangers. See, our impatience can easily lead to us getting ahead of what God is doing and where God is going. Now, there's a story in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. And Moses um, had been away to be with God. And his people, the, the people of God, uh, decide that Moses has been gone too long. And they're going to um, build a calf, right? And they're going to worship the calf instead of wait for God. And Moses comes back down, and God's not happy, and the people are judged, right? There's consequence. They're, they're killed. But that's not all that happens, that God says that he's not going to go with them, that God's presence will not stay with them. And Moses intercedes. Moses cries out to God and basically says, if you don't go with us, I, I, we don't want to go. If you're not with us, we don't want to go. We, we've gotten ahead. We, we, went, we took a step wrong. We don't want to go if you don't go with us. And God says, I will go with you. I will go with you. And he reaffirms his, his covenant with Moses. But the idea was that if God's not with us, we don't want to go. And friend, if, if your life is so sped up that there's no waiting for God, that there's only you know, doing, there's only action, you and I are in very, a very dangerous place to get ahead of what God is doing and take a wrong, wrong step of which could have many consequences. Right after God renews the covenant in chapter 35, we find the regulations for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is important. Stillness is important. So unless and until we slow down to be still and to wait, we will miss out on what God is doing. You see, in the waiting, God is up to something. God's sovereign over all things. His timing is perfect. And so we must trust, we must trust that. 
Back to Psalm 37. David continues in verse 7. He says this, Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in the way, over the man who carries out evil devices. In verse 8, he says, Don't fret it. It only, it only tends or tends only uh, to evil. Fret not or fear not. Uh, that is, don't worry. We saw it in verse 1. You heard Pastor Chris read. Isaiah 41.10 says it this way. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The Bible uh, frequently commands us to not fear. Now, you know that. That's, that's a pretty frequent and, and maybe a different, different language, different words, but, but the same principle, the same idea is, is don't fear or fear not. Don't be afraid. And he gives us reasons for that, and that sounds good, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound good to fret not? Don't you wish you didn't worry? Don't you wish you weren't, you weren't, weren't fearful? Some of us are more fearful than others, I recognize that. But, but all of us, to some degree, ha- have, a, have some sort of thing that we're afraid of, right? Your fear might not be like my fear, um, but nevertheless, that there is a human nature, that there is, there is fear that exists in our life. And it sounds really good to not get worked up and to not be afraid, but, but how do we do that? We know that things aren't the way they ought to be. We know that there are things that lead us into areas where worry and anxiety seem like a pretty common response. Just saying, don't be afraid or don't, don't fear is not to say that there aren't fearful things. That's not what the Bible's saying. The Bible doesn't say, don't be afraid because there's nothing to be afraid of. That's not true. There are things to be afraid of, aren't there? There are real dangers. There are real fears. But Psalm 23 reminds us that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't need to fear. David goes on to share reasons in Psalm 23. But here in Psalm 37, how would that happen? How would we not fear? How would we not fret? How could we live in this stillness? How could we slow down? There's two points that David makes in these verses that we can see. In verses 3 through 6, let me read them again for you. Actually, we'll just read verses 3 through 5. Now we'll read 60. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the new day. Now, the first thing that we see that we're called into and how we can live with, without fear is by looking upward. Notice in verses 3, 4, and 5, the trust is where? In the Lord. The delight is where? In the Lord. The commitment of our way is where? In the Lord. You see, too often we are guilty, we are guilty of looking at our problems, uh, looking at ourself instead of looking to the Lord, instead of looking up. And in, despite what, what we may believe about our um, overinflated view of our own abilities, um, we need help. 
And it seems as though until it's real bad, we don't look up. David is inviting us to say, how can you live like this? How can this be the characterizing your life, this, this lack of or um, absence of, of fearfulness? It's by looking up. Psalm 21.1. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? Verse 2. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our, our help actually comes not from our striving, but from the Lord. So we look up. We look upward. Secondly, we look forward. Look at it in verse 9. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. We are prone to live so much in the presence, right? the right now, um, or by looking in the rearview mirror all the time, that we may dismiss or we may even just be ignorant of the future. And David is saying, don't, don't just look at what's happening right now. And don't look necessarily at the past and conclude a bunch of things about the history. Look forward. So verse 9 comes after the, the section there, verses eight, 7 and 8. And so this, this stillness, this patience, this fret not... You know, refrain from anger, and then verse 9, 4. Or because. Because why? Because there is something that is coming. He tells him about the future, and we're talking about the ultimate future. David is saying, take the long view here. Take the eternal view here. D don't get so caught up in today. Don't get caught up so much what you can only see with your eyes here and now, or what you have experienced. But take the long view. Look forward. And what you'll see is verse 9, that the evildoers will be cut off. Here's the news, friend. The evildoer does not win the day. In the end, the evildoer will be judged. But they're getting away with it now. It seems that way, doesn't it? But when it matters most, they won't. And that shouldn't fill us with delight. That should just tell us this, that God is just. Now, some of us want to say, yeah, but... But I think justice would look this way, right? I think God's justice should happen now and then. Right? It should be both, right? They should get the judgment now and then, of course, in the end. So one of the dangers in humanity is to think that we know better, right? Like we all do this, that we think we know better than fill in the blank. But we do this with God, don't we? But could it be true that an eternal God who sits above humanity, may just know a little bit more. Maybe, just maybe, his view of justice is a little more developed than ours. And so can we then trust that it's true, the evildoers will be cut off, and that's just, and that's good, and that's right, and that's not just good enough, that is what is right. But not only that, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. There's good news for us. 
Those who wait for the Lord will receive a blessing too. Now, specifically, David is writing about a covenant promise. When you see this, inheriting the land, we're, we're, we're going all the way back to Genesis, right? We're going all the way back to Abraham and that the promise of God to the people of God, the Israelites, his children, that they would have the land. So you may say, well, what does that have to do with us then? We're not Israel. That's true. But in the Gospels, we find that Jesus quotes this verse in Mar- Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, where he says this, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So Jesus is, is taking that promise and he's extending it. And he's saying that there is a promise to us too, to those who know God that there will be a blessing. And one day we know that for those who know God, they will inherit the earth. We will live on the new heaven in the new earth. This is not our home yet, but it will be. It will be again when it is renewed. The new heaven and the new earth. We're not living in the clouds. We're going to live on the new heaven and the new earth. See, looking forward helps us to better understand the presence and to see the fuller picture. I'll say very little, but I'll give you the the reference here. Psalm chapter 73, verses 16 and 17. There's a man named Asaph. And Asaph is struggling a lot with this very question. Why do the wicked prosper? And he goes back and forth. He's kind of upset about this. And he comes to verse 16. And he says, then I went to the sanctuary of God. And I understood their end. You see, his perspective was was off. He had a different perspective when he looked at things the way that God would look at them. And then he knew. He knew that there's a long view of this. We're so caught up in the short term that that we can't even see it. That's because we're running and running and running. The stillness, being with God, being alone with God, before God, helps us see things differently. So how can we experience this stillness? Well, we look up to the Lord, right? We look upward. Uh, C.H. Spurgeon, uh, in his sermon on this same text called Rest in the Lord, calls us to, to rest in the attributes of God. One of the ways that you can rest in God, one of the ways that you can be still before the lot, God, one of the ways you can know this quiet is by reflecting on and knowing the attributes of God, the characteristics of God, who God is. He goes on to list a few. I'll just briefly read this. He says, are you uh, conscious of sin? Are you worried about your sin? Are you restless about your sin? Come rest in the mercy which blots it out. Want rest in your life? Are you worried, Christian, about the sin that you have done? Does God forgive that sin? Well, God, we know, is merciful. So come and rest in his mercy. Are you troubled about inward sin? Then, then rest in his power to break the neck of corruption. God has the power to enable you to stop sinning. In those habitual sins that, that we all fight, God's power through his spirit enables us. Perhaps your affliction concerns worldly affairs. Then rest in the power of God to help you. Rest, beloved brother and sister, in God's wisdom. You cannot see your way, but he can see it. Leave it to him. For there is no possibility of error in his counsels. Rest also in his immutability. That means he does not change. 
He is a sure anchor amid the troubled sea of life. You have changes every day, he writes. He never changes. Come back to him whose consistency of love is a mountain of strength. And then finally, he says this. Rest also in his faithfulness. What he has promised, he will perform. He is not a man that, you should li- that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he, said, has he said, and shall he not do it? Take his promise and believe it to be as good as fulfilled, for so it is. Rest in the Lord. So we look up to God and we know the end. Know the end. How can you have this stillness by knowing the end? The end of all things is at hand, Peter says. The end is coming. And this both serves as a warning and a word of encouragement. It's a warning because there is a judgment for those who persist in unbelief. There is a judgment for the wicked. If you're here this morning, friend, and you do not know Jesus, let me tell you with as soberly as I can, you are under the judgment of God. You are under the wrath of God. Condemnation awaits you because of your sin. But I have great news. That as much as the scriptures explain to us the condemnation for the sinner, it also invites the sinner to repent, to receive forgiveness of sins, and the salvation that's only through Jesus. Acts 16.31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. If you've never done that this morning, the invitation is to believe. And then you can know what Romans 8.1 says, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is also, knowing the end is also an encouragement for those who know God. It's encouragement for, for us to live with resolve to make our life matter, to not waste it, Two weeks ago, we talked about Jonathan Edwards. And Jonathan Edwards' 55th resolution says this, Resolved to endeavor to my utmost to act as I can think I should do if I had already seen the happiness of heaven and hell's torments. Knowing the end gives us hope and peace. Knowing the end for the Christian is to know the joy of the master. So we look up and know that he is with us, that he is for us, and we look forward that his plan will be fulfilled. May God help us. Father, we pray this morning, giving thanks that you so loved the world, that you sent your son, that we could be made at peace with you, that we could know you as our Father, that we could come to you, come before you. and not be condemned. God, the only way we can be in your presence even this morning is because of your Son. So as Davis calls us to be still before the Lord, we know the only way we can come to you is through Jesus. So through Jesus, we do come. 
And we ask for your help to quiet our hearts, to slow, slow us down, slow our spirituality down, that we may be in sync with you, that we may not get ahead of you. Some of us here today might, might be ahead. Maybe we know it. God, we pray that you would give us humility to, to come before you in repentance and ask for your forgiveness. Seek your direction now. Lord, help us to wait for you. God, we do that by looking up and looking forward. Ultimately to the day when we see Jesus face to face. We say with Apostle John, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen and amen.